0: What a beautiful song, Jeremy Loops, and mortal man for sure. So, there's a book. It's called Future Next, Reimagining Our World and Conquering Uncertainty. It's written by John Sinai and Dr. Iraj e. Abedian. You may know Dr. Abedian as an economist and an author, and John Sinai as a futurist and also a prolific author as well. The book starts to look at the world that we are in. And in fact, the opening line of the introduction is, so here we are in the future. It's safe to say that it has arrived earlier than anybody ever expected. Well, that's the truth. And on the line with us, we have Dr. Aberdeen. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me, and good
0: morning to the listeners. So, so Dr. Abideen, before we actually go into the book itself, I was intrigued in your um, preface where you described yourself, and I thought this was a wonderful note, actually. You described yourself as a student of economics, and I suppose so many people could say hardly a student, and yet... One, I suppose, the older one gets, the more one realises one just doesn't know everything and one knows less and less and less.
1: Absolutely. I think that is the reality that uh, um, although I've had a lot of experiences and been studying for 40 years, um, doing various types of economics, application of economics and policy and business and labour and so on and so forth, the fact is that economics changes. mm Economics is part of the society, part of technology, part of psychology, part of uh, the whole culture of of organizing society, and as these variables change, so does the nature of economics and the operations. For example, economics in the age of uh, fourth industrial revolution is not the same economics as we uh, were hmm. in the agrarian economy.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad you use an example as well because there, there's lots of that requirement throughout the book. And for our listeners just to understand what happens with the book is it, it's it's split into three parts. The, the first is embracing the unknown. The second part is asking new questions and reimagining our collective future, some fascinating new questions. And the third is future next, what can we do? And it looks at like the, the likes of consumers, employees, employers, entrepreneurs, executives, and, of course, policymakers. Dr. Aberdeen, I know that a part of the book is obviously written by John Sinai, but there was there were a couple of points that I wanted to raise in the first chapter about embracing the unknown – where the discussion is around being conscious about how you process the news. Mm. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, the, at a the personal level, and this is really where um, John and myself came together, John's uh, passion and expertise and, and uh, research uh, always relates to, to what happens inside us as an individual, in yeah. our psyche, in our expectations, what makes us happy, what makes us sad. And why? And, and what processes do we go through? Although nobody can see, but that's the universe inside. And whereas mm. mine is about universe outside, so to speak. And these two have to, in a way, live together and ideally to be, to be coherent and, and consistent. So what happens within our... Uh, we all have come from various backgrounds. We've been socialized to believe certain things as so-called normal um, and when that normal doesn't uh, <laughs> continue and suddenly shatters in front of our eyes, we just, it, is, it, is, it is as if our world has just collapsed. Uh, what, we, what John quite uh, uh, compellingly um, uh, illustrates and shares his insight is that we, we mustn't uh, confuse the, the normal uh, with familiar. What we do have is we have familiarity because we've been socialized to accept certain things as so-called, that's how things should be. We call it normal. Yeah. Whereas um, when things change, uh, we got to have within ourselves the capacity, the resilience, the preparedness to manage these changes. Yes. Uh, And because COVID pandemic uh, created this uh, sort of sudden crash of all the familiar systems, all the familiar norms and practices, it's natural that people go into a very different shock uh, and then we are bombarded by media houses, uh, by the negative consequences, by the negative expectations and so on and so forth. So we need to take care as to how we, we process these informations that, that are thrown at us, that events that comes one upon the other. Um, and uh, we got to discipline ourselves not to... Be in a way uh, thrown away and and like a river taking us the way it goes. Uh, Then we will be able to. But of course, we won't be able to to maintain the inner uh, stability, inner uh, sort of resilience to manage the outer events.
0: You know, this inner resilience is also touched on in this idea where you talk about how we could look at exponential living. And I, I love this idea of exponential living because it, it, it questions this linear process. I mean, you talk about familiarity and what we think is normal versus familiarity. And in many ways, um, that linear process is about that. How do we do exponential living?
1: I think the book, uh, in a way, provides some uh, step-by-step, uh, not guidelines, at least suggestions, yeah. um, to, to, in a way, understand that all the linear planning that we had, that we're going to be uh, next month have a holiday and then save that much, get married, go on. We've got <laughs> a bucket list, always, as we call it, of things to do. Um, and uh, it's been the way uh, so society, economy, and, and the global system, environmental system up to now has, has conditioned us to learn. Whereas now, um, all of that pretty much is imploding upon us. So we yeah. need to learn to operate in a very different way, uh, uh, in a very nonlinear, exponential way, see opportunities, and be flexible enough to live with the opportunities, to unlock our capacity uh, to, to to make the best of that. For example, uh, if, we, if we bring it to the uh, sort of business and economic and, and, and careers, we all have been conditioned to have a linear graduate, get a job, promote, uh, and retire, uh, and that's the end of it, yeah. and enjoy the retirement. Well, these days, um, a typical economic life, a typical professional would change of something like eight or ten or more um professions yeah, uh, because it's become possible so you don't live in that linear as our grandparents and forefathers did and then we have to obviously prepare ourselves to believe in our capabilities to identify uh, and very early on and as we go along make a list which is not about what 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 to do but what to be what do yeah. I want to be yeah. what am I Good at what? What's my passion and capabilities, and and focus on our inner capacities, inner capabilities, so that we can unlock it in an exponential way.
0: We're chatting to Dr. Iraj Abadien. He is the co-author of a fascinating book called Future Next, Reimagining Our World and Conquering Uncertainty. Dr. Abadien, we do have to go to a break, so I'm going to pose a question to you. And when we come back, if you could just look to it. One of the things um, in the chapter around asking new questions is this idea of... The fact that as we move forward into a new world, new stories, we obviously need, as you say, new terms. And in particular, there's a kind of cautionary tale around those broad terms of communism, socialism, and capitalism. And when we come back, I'd like to just ask your take on that. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. We're talking to Dr. Iraj Abedian from the book or the co-author of the book, Future Next. Uh, Dr. Abedian, in the, in the book Asking New Questions, in the chapter Asking New Questions, there were two ch- uh, smaller chapters, I suppose, which totally turned things on my head when I thought about it. The first one was this idea that regulation kills the economy is a narrative that actually is not true. And I loved that because we're always the people who are going, no, it's regulation that's killing the economy and just cut the red tape, etc. And yet you just you, you explain why this is not 100% true. Yeah, I think, uh, Michelle, this
1: is part of the bigger uh, sort of socialization or upbringing that we all have, no matter where we are. We've been sort of boxed into thinking that you are the communist, a socialist, a capitalist. You put a label on something. And part of this is uh, really the fact that uh, a group, a very powerful group, a dominant group almost, uh, believes that uh, regulation is, is, is a bad thing. And I do, I'm not in favor of uh, red tape. I'm not in favor of uh, inappropriate regulation. But at the same time, the reality is that no economy can function without regulation. So instead of, as they say, throwing the bakery the bathwater, let's have a decent, uh, effective conversation uh, and, and talk about what type of regulation, what the regularity of, of upgrading regulation yeah. so that the economy can function. And we use a very uh, daily example of like a traffic a city. Uh, a, a metropole cannot function without a, a traffic regulatory system. And that yeah. regulatory system must be uh, fit for purpose it must be upgraded, must be revised, must be uh, sort of from manual to to automatic, from automatic to digital, etc., etc., so that the city can function, so that the economy and the welfare of the individuals. And it's very important that regulation cannot be um, focused on one factor only. For example, maximizing return on on, on capital it's important. Vital, But it must be the broader welfare of the community and the society that should be subsumed and and embodied in that regulation. And therefore, regulation needs to be not constant. It's got to be continuously revised and made fit for purpose.
0: Talk to us about the idea of price equates to value. Yes slash (laughs) no. Yes, I mean... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> often uh, there is another sort of uh, half-truth or, as uh, uh, they say, a grain of truth in a mountain of untruths
0: yes. which
1: uh, process makes value, which means uh, somebody, and we use the example of, of the wage gap, which is a very serious uh, uh, social, political, and, and economic phenomenon that uh, we just assume that uh, the lowest paid in the, in the organization or in a business economic enterprise is the right price for that because that's the value that they generate. In the meantime, right at the top, those who get uh, sort of unbelievable remuneration, well, that's the value that they add. And we question that. We say it is not true. It is not, uh, neither is factually true nor from a social point of view sustainable. So we question that um, not by way of being in a very authoritative here, but we're raising some questions, you know, inviting everybody to think about. And uh, if there are fault lines in our value-price uh, spectrum, we need to, uh, much like the, the fault lines in the regulatory debate, yeah. these things need to be re-examined. The game has changed. We've got to change our thinking. We've got to turn our head and look for a different system. Not to say, well, if you're a communist, you do it always this way, if you're a capitalist. But those reasons are, are useless. They're just irrelevant. And, and as inappropriate as using uh, craft and horse for the modern economy.
0: You know, there's, um, there's an, and I forget her name, I was just watching a talk with her recent, oh, I wish I could remember her name, uh, uh, I think she comes from Harvard, and she talks about um, the time for a post-capitalist world, and there's a lot of writing around post-capitalist worlds and um, neo-capitalism but, and different ways of talking to the kind of systems that we have, and you, you've mentioned that, do you yeah. believe that we, we, we can move towards that? Do you believe that that's an option, or is it just so challenging, particularly in this country?
1: Absolutely, Michel. I, I not only I believe we can, we have, I would say, no choice. Don't mm. ask me exactly what it is. I think that let's discuss, let's consult, let's, let's carve it out. Um, and let's remember that the Industrial Revolution happened and the capitalism, as we sort of see it, was born. Nobody knew capitalism. Nobody used that term. Nobody Mm. knew how it operates. But the trial, error, uh, uh, ideological, philosophical, and social engagements, the term evolved and the system became a very different system than the agrarian system before that. So, and we are exactly at the same type of juncture, which is, in our view, precipitated by the COVID-19 crisis. Absolutely. That is, what we have is not useful, is not conducive to welfare. Otherwise, we have so much disparities of income, so much unemployment, so much wealth. At the same time, there is so much misery. This cannot be the right thing. So let's put these labels aside. Let's engage, have conversations, and call out what we want to be. And that really is what the second and the third chapter of the book are all about.
0: You know, we do have to go to a break, and I um, feel like there's so much more still to talk to you about. So what I would like to do is that if we go to, not the break, but um, when we go to the news break, when could we come back to you after the news break? It does go kind of against uh, our usual convention here on the show. But there's so much still to talk to yeah. you about. Because Big I pleasure. want to go, go to your, your, your you, you, in your Chapter 5, you, say, you talk to this, and I'll quote, it's, The the fact that we need a different intervention, which you've spoken about, that existing economic thinking will – the current existing economic thinking, I'll place it as such, will see the pursuit of profits overpower human survival. Now, obviously, that talks to – so many different conversations. It's the conversation around sustainability, around the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, how those can shift and change, and indeed how we start to create a system that evolves. Because right now, as you said earlier, we have not yet evolved and we may still go, um, we're we still stuck in an old system. So if you can just hold that thought, that would be wonderful. We're talking to sure. Dr. Iraj Abedian of Future Next, Reimagining Our World and Conquering Uncertainty. He's the co-author with John Sinai. It's a, I have to tell you, it's a fabulously easy book to read. I read it um, on the plane to Cape Town and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So we'll be talking about that after the news break. It's nine o'clock. Time for the news. Good morning. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant, 7 to 10 a.m. Five minutes past nine. Thanks to Cholanie from the A-plus team. So we're doing things slightly differently today. We've been talking to Dr. Iraj Abedian, who is the co-author of Future Next, Reimagining Our World and Conquering Uncertainty. And I really wanted to just get a little bit more out of the interview because it was such a fabulous book. And, you know, I've got this book marked all over the place. Um, Dr. Abadian, I've had my hand slapped by one of our listeners saying, please, Michelle, pronounce your guest's name correctly. And I can only assume it's done in that tone of voice. But nevertheless, how do I pronounce your name?
1: No accent, nothing uh, exciting. It's flat as you read it. Abedian. Iraj
0: Abidian. Iraj Bidien. That's right. So I, so I was, I was on point. <laughs> <laughs> you were on point.
1: <laughs> but I'm used to being uh, from Abidjan, Abidjan uh, to Abidjan, and uh, all, all is fine. <laughs> it's, oh, it's all
0: fine as well. I think i I'm, I'm Michelle Mitchell. Michael, and all of that's fine as well. You can call me whatever you like, as long as you're enjoying yourself. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, in the book, there's something which I have been thinking about a lot um, in my studies at the moment. and It's the concept of collaboration. Or one could even think of it as partnership. And if you look at the Sustainable Development Goals, Sustainable Development Goal number 17 is around partnership. And in many ways, it's been described as the kind of plumb line that drops through all the other goals. So there are goals around gender based violence, there are goals around education, there are goals, diversity of goals. And yet, collaboration has the power to work its way through all of it. Everybody is saying that as we move forward, with um, the COVID-19 pandemic and its very long tail, that this is the way to go because not only the pie is not finite, it becomes in many ways infinite. I wonder if you could talk about that a bit.
1: Yeah, I think uh, this uh, is really uh, systemically, and remember, I come from an economics thinking paradigm which always think of the system, the integration, Mm. the dependence of various components. Um, And therefore, And we submit an argument in in the book that uh, human beings and the socio-economic, political system around us, we have, uh, in a way, uh, grown, evolved, and we are on the verge of mutating to a different system within which partial operations and uncoordinated activities of different quality stakeholders within the society, such as. Government, labor, the society, the community, NGOs, etc., cetera, et cetera mm-hmm. and the scientific centers is not going to be suitable. The system has become integrated globally. And we cannot deny that. And if we do deny, we see the environmental consequences. Our welfare, uh, our, our, our national welfare, have also, in a way, become interdependent, and, and we cannot uh, discard that. Within the nations or within the regions, uh, a partial operations and taking care of partisan interests is not going to also be sustainable by that i mean for example business saying well my business is to make profit and do it in an ethical way and what happens to the society well it's not my business it's government's business mm. um, and but guess what if the business is done in an old way without the participation of the, the various players in that business including the community, you cannot cause damage to the environment and say, well, the government must come and sort it out. You cannot cause damage to the, um, to the communities around your business and then hope that the government will sort it out. And in the meantime, because you're taking care of your own interests in the business, and I'm using business as an example, mm-hmm. uh, then you maximize your taxes your tax havens, you debase, you, you shift the, the, the tax base somewhere else, and then government has got less resources but has to do more. And therefore, government ends up unable, and then it is sort of from a, a business not doing in a, in a proper way, it becomes a political issue, then it becomes an ideological issue, and we get ourselves all into a blame game. Yeah. So, so we can have this exactly the same discussion with governments or about governments, and it's not about South African governments. What we argue here is a global uh, sort of perspective and, and a discussion that we want to start uh, so governments are under pressure, businesses are under pressure, the environment is under pressure because we are still in the mode of the previous system where yeah. we all took care of ourselves. We argue that we should mutate to a different paradigm of thinking, emotional, if you like, thinking, and systemic thinking where these partners all realize that we got to work together in a coherent way and in that way uh, focus on the welfare of the whole.
0: You know, I mean, this was a it was a kind of theory that was raised, I think, over a decade ago with that Kramer and Porter theory of shared value. I mean, essentially, it's the same idea. And you noted as serve society, not shareholders, and that by serving society, you would, in fact, then be able to share to serve shareholders as well
1: you absolutely right. Uh, a, a lot of what we put in the book are not new. Some of them were raised 50, 60 years ago. But wow. it was such a visionary at that time that I personally couldn't say, well, I can feel it, I can see it. Now, the COVID crisis has really put a spotlight on it yeah. that it's no longer an ideological perspective. It's a rea- rea- realistic imperative of what we need to do. Uh, shared value is absolutely one element of it, but at the same time we argue that uh, over and above and alongside shared value we need to have sustainable value we cannot share it in a way that three, four, five years later uh, the whole thing is not sustainable so we need to bring another dimension to it, again sustainability is not new, but sustainability should be jacked up next to shared and shared next to ethical, and Mm. ethical needs to coordinated, and then we we invite everybody to say, well, what else are we missing? You're not arguing, and certainly I'm not arguing that I've got all the answers. I'm saying that we have a joint challenge of redefining our systems and let's find these various attributes, such as shared, such as sustainability, such as ethical, such as coordinated. And then when we haggle and juggle, what I'm confident of is we have collectively what it takes to carve out the new system.
0: I mean, I would argue, and I suppose it just comes from my space in the kind of creative sector, that what it does talk to is we need to start looking at what EQ or emotional intelligence is and put Absolutely. that at the center of our conversations.
1: Michel, you it's spot on, and we said uh, that from this systemic point of view, we also have to appreciate that human beings, we've be gone through a process of evolution where, um, a few hundred years back, we relied on our bone power or muscle power. Mm-hmm. We then became intellectual. We re- relied more and more during industrialization and post-industrialization on, on intellectual power, automation, mechanics and machines and so on. And we did brilliantly. Now we suggest that we are at a point that we have to complement that, balance it with insights and creativity that people have. Therefore, that is another attribute of this mutation that is in progress, and human beings, as we evolve in the new system, not only we need um, sort of physical power, not only we need intellectual power, but we will increasingly require insight and creativity that is part of defining nature of human beings.
0: You know, I suppose, um, uh, in closing, um, Dr. Abadien, is that this idea that... it was. I, I did a hike this week on, at a place called the Green Mountain Trail, which is in the Western Cape, and and focuses on fynbos. And mm. one of the things our trail guide was saying is that when you look at the fynbos, you look at this the fact that um, the more diversity there is in the fynbos, the more productive it is. Yeah. And I thought this is such a powerful learning tool that. We could take in society, in business, and the like, because essentially that's correct. If we could start to understand the power of diversity to grow productivity, it could shift things quite dramatically as we move forward.
1: Absolutely, and do it initially in an exponential way. That's one of the creator, one of the factors that creates uh, not only sustainability um, and creativity, but also. Um, uh diversity brings with it exponential dimensions uh, because it's not a linear thing because creativity in each one is different and then we put them together in a diverse form it becomes like a garden that's got so many different flowers all of them each beautiful but the collective of diversity of the flower gives a different vista and a different joy.
0: Mm in closing you have uh, mentioned in your acknowledgements you you said that much of your inspiration was fired by shohi effendi's missive on the unfoldment of world civilization which was written in 1936 just prior to the second world war and, and I was interested in that comment because of what you mentioned earlier here on the show, where you said so much of the conversations that we are having, they're not new conversations. They're conversations that have come up in academia. They've come up in business engagement. They've come up in governments over many, many years. Tell us a little bit about that particular missive. Yeah, I think that
1: message was, or that statement or, or um, essay was written by a uh, Soviet at that time, um, in the middle of the turbulent time of the global, uh, in, in between the war, the two wars, and it, it's just an amazing uh, piece of, uh, what called it, creative or visionary outline of how we are, uh, we are unfolding as a human civilization. And I've been for years reading it, but never really understood much of it until the crisis, and also so many of these elements are coming up and that again brings me to this point that really motivated the, uh, the, the writing of the book that when systems are on the, on the verge of transitioning from an old to a new, it's not an event, it's a process. There mm-hmm. are some visionary philosophical or uh, artistic people who have this insight, they can see that this is not visual, uh, workable, it has to change, but the rest of us keep sort of hoping that we we'll fix it in one way or another and make it work. Um, and then it takes, um, let's say, 40, 50 years for that transition to, on different uh, vectors, on different attributes to get to a point of non-sustainable so that now everybody can see that we need something new. Everybody can see that this unfoldment of world civilization has to, new uh, place, has to go to a different uh, plateau and, uh, and be reconsidered. So, that particular statement obviously uh, inspired me a lot, uh, also helped me to learn and think and, and argue with different people, and uh, I still do, and the writing of the book was a very helpful process of thinking and thinking um, along this unfoldment of, of, of civilization, which is a planetary, it's not a country-specific type of uh, unfoldment, it's about us, homo sapiens, and, and, and the mutation that we need to, um, to embrace.
0: I suppose one could say that then if you're going to be an economist, you have to have a long view of the future and plenty of patience.
1: Yeah, and you need to remain a student. That's where we start our conversation. You can't say, well, I've learned it all, I know it all, listen to me and I've got all the answers. The reality is different. The systems are in evolution and you have to have the long-term view. Be very mindful of this evolving process at the same time. Be humble, be prepared to learn, and if things don't work, change your views and learn and find new ways of doing it and help the society.
0: Dr. Iraj Abadian, thank you so much for joining us, the co-author of Future Next, Reimagining Our World and Conquering Uncertainty. And his co-author is John Sanai. It's a great read. It's a challenging read. And as they say, the future has arrived early. And it really is about how we move forward in the field, in the world. I think that idea of how we think about familiarity versus what we think is normal. So instead of assuming that something is normal just because it's familiar, is something we need to break away from and change and shift. We have got one of our listeners saying uh, that they're interested in the ABCD methodology, which I have to say I'm in absolute agreement, and as the ABCD being the asset-based community development methodology, focusing in many ways on the idea of abundance versus scarcity. I'm not reading out the entire SMS, and my apologies, but we don't have time as I do need to go to a break.